Welcome to my podcast, Everyday Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation, and each episode will shed light on one or several of these themes. This episode is part one of a four-part interview series with yin yoga master Bernie Clark. Here, in this episode, Bernie will talk about the role of a yoga teacher, how to think about teaching asana from a functional alignment perspective. He'll also discuss whether or not beginners should do yin yoga, as well as whether or not alignment considerations change between yin and yang yoga. So without further ado, I bring you Bernie Clark. Okay, I am with Bernie Clark. Bernie, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure, Josh. Happy to be here. So for anyone that's listening that may not have heard of you, uh, first I want to say to them, please wake up. Um, Bernie, you are um, really kind of one of my go-to resources for all things yin yoga. You've been hosting a website, yinyoga.com, for a number of years, which is a veritable treasure trove of all things yin. Um, and you've offered, offered and authored several books on yin yoga. The first book was Yin Sights, right. and then another iteration of that came out as The Complete Guide to Yin Yoga. And you're more recently involved in a project, which seems to be a multi-volume set coming out called Your Body, Your Yoga. And volumes one and two are published on that already. Yeah, that's right. Hard at work at volume three. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, listeners may not know this, um, and I have a little inside knowledge on you. Um, None of these were your first books, right? Way back, you did publish a book on on meditation, I think. You've heard of that one, eh? Called True Zen. True Zen, and and uh, what was in the what was in that book? Oh, it was a distillation of centuries of wisdom, and it basically runs around the the thing that the person who knows doesn't speak, and the one who speaks doesn't know. So uh, it's similar to another book that my father once told me about, called The Book of Irish Wisdom, which is completely blank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was a complete completely blank book, right? Right, yeah, and we are from Ireland, so I guess that's how we got the wisdom. Very good. Well, you've come a long way. <laughs> um, you, you know, you've been on podcasts with other people, and you've, I've heard you speak about how you came to Yin and, and um, your, kind of your evolution with that. So here I'd like to just jump into some of the, the details around how you think about the practice um, and concerns and issues that you've seen come up around the practice. The first thing I want to tackle is how you see the role of a teacher in yin yoga functioning um, based on what you're bringing to light in your book, Your Body, Your Yoga. You're describing how there's a tremendous spectrum of human variation, both right. particularly in skeletal variation. And that difference in, in skeletal structure mandates that everybody really is going to be doing poses in ways that are unique to them. And whenever I teach a training, and I'm sure this might happen for you too, it's when you start to cover that material, 
by day one, by usually by day two, there's a look in the audience where people are kind of looking like you've just told them that Santa Claus no longer exists. Right. And, and you can also anticipate that they're thinking, okay, this is Saturday, and on Tuesday evening at, at 6 p.m., I have to teach my vinyasa class. What the hell am I going to say now? Right. <laughs> so there's a, there's a real shift that I think teachers need to make to incorporate the understanding that you're bringing to light around skeletal variation. And I just wanted to open it up to you and how you think about explaining that to teachers. Well, I was introduced to this, as you probably were as well, through Paul Grilly and his pioneering work. And uh, I warn the students that they'll go through the five stages of grieving, just like Paul warned me. First will be denial. Now, this, this isn't right. This isn't true. I was told you must always put your feet parallel and down dog or in warrior pose or in mountain pose. And then there becomes um, bargaining. But what, what about if you do this? What about you do that? And then comes anger. You know, I spent $3,000 learning all this in my teacher training course. You mean they lied to me? And then you get into this whole depression. Oh, my God, I don't know what to say anymore. I'm giving up teaching. I'm going to a nunnery. And then hopefully the fifth stage comes, and that's acceptance, that you learn how to integrate all this into your, your teaching. And you get back to where you started, which is you still got to say something. You can't stand up in front of the class and just mime it. And so you just say what you've always said, but you're not so dogmatic about it. You don't have to insist. And if somebody is standing with their feet apart, pointing outwards like in a V, in mountain pose or down dog or in a warrior pose, you don't automatically correct them. You go figure out, well, what's happening? Maybe this person didn't hear me. That could happen too. But usually, if these students have been coming a few times, they've heard you. And for some reason, that pose, that instruction doesn't work for them. Mm -hmm. Alignment shouldn't be in service of the, uh, sorry, the posture shouldn't be in service to alignment. Alignment should be in service to the posture. And since everyone is different, the challenge is to find the alignment that works for you. Alignment's important. I sometimes get accused of saying, well, then anything goes. I'm not right. saying that. But we got to figure out what is the alignment that works best for you that makes this pose effective, efficient, and safe. And that's one of the charges that I often hear towards yin yoga teachers is that, we, that people say, well, in yin yoga, you don't care about alignment. Alignment doesn't right. matter. Yeah. Yeah, yin yoga is so simple, anybody can teach it because anything goes. No, it's, it's harder than that because you have to figure out what goes for that student. And this has been the case in medicine. I've got a book, an anatomy book from the 1930s, written by a, a, a doctor who trained medical students. And in his foreword, he talks about how his students don't want to hear about variation. They just want to know what's the one thing they'll say to this patient if they have this condition. And he says, it ain't that simple. Everybody's different. Right. And, and, and in order to facilitate a student coming to find an alignment that works for them, it kind of requires that the teacher engage in a very different dynamic with the student. Rather than coming at the student as kind of this, um, from this position of authority, where the, where the teacher's eye knows best, right. it, it involves this whole different dynamic. And, and do you have re uh, recommendations for how to approach that dynamic? Yeah, well, a couple of things. First, the teacher has to realize, and this makes it harder to teach, that there should be an intention for each posture. Like, why are you putting somebody into this pose? Why do you want them to do down dog or warrior or butterfly pose? What was your intention in offering that? And a lot of teachers, when they first start teaching, they don't think about that. They were just taught this is kind of the flow. You do this pose and this pose and this pose, and hopefully you get through the whole class, you got everyone to do all the poses. But now we're saying, well, stop 
that why did you put them in that post? What was your intention? And then you have to get the student to pay attention. Are they getting the stresses in the targeted areas that you want to work? And the only way you can find that out is the student has to tell you. You can't tell that by looking at the student. Mm -hmm. The student has to now pay attention. And that's a big challenge for the student. Because so many times I'll ask a student, what are you feeling? And they'll look up and we have a blank expression saying, fine. <laughs> and I say, oh, I'm glad you're feeling fine. But what are you feeling? What are you sensing here? What's your experience? And beginners, they won't have a clue. So you might have to get a bit more direct of it and say, well, we're targeting the outside of the hips here. Are you feeling anything there? And then they'll kind of go blank and, yeah, I'm getting something. But then you have to give them more education. Is it superficial? Is it deep? Is it sharp? Is it dull? Is it achy? Is it burning? Is it in one spot? Is it spread out? Does it throb? Does it come and go? Is it constant? There's so many things as a teacher you can teach the student to pay attention to. But that's a journey. You have to take them there over time. Right. I always think of it as trying to lead the witness a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, know you, you, have, you have a student in the pose and then you have to, you have to educate them and kind of bring them up to a certain degree of fluency with what they're actually experiencing. Yeah. And at some point they become the teacher. Exactly. Which I think is the ultimate goal of most teachers is to give your student the ability to figure this out for themselves. And that means you're not just barking directions at them. Now the left foot forward, now the right shoulder down, the palm up and all that. And the, the student will never be able to figure out how to teach himself with that. But if you go from the inside out, what are you feeling? Here's what we want to feel. What do you have to do to get it? What's the alignment that's going to give you those sensations? And what you're describing applies equally to a yin yoga class as much as it does to a yang yoga class, right? Right. And the benefit in yin is you got five minutes to figure out what you're feeling. <laughs> and that's actually one, something that I try to emphasize uh, too is that uh, you know, in in addition to all the benefits that you get for the physical body in yin yoga and the energetic body and the meditative opportunities you get in yin yoga, just learning how your body feels in a certain pose at a certain angle is a kind of awareness. It's a, it's a sensitivity or refinement of awareness, which I think transposes. That's a quality of attention that transposes into the active practice. Yeah. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, I've heard some people say that beginners shouldn't do yin yoga. If somebody's never done yoga before, yin is too strong, too deep, too whatever. But I think it's quite opposite. I think yin yoga is a great practice for beginners because it gives them a chance to learn their body. In the yang practice, you're in a pose for five breaths. And you're so focused on the aesthetics of where should my feet go, where should my hands go. And once you got that figured out, you're out of the pose again. You never get a chance to really feel it. In yin, you really get to learn how to pay attention. I'm glad you said that because I, I, you're confirming what I say too. I, I, I've said that too, that I don't, I don't have as much fear about beginners coming to yin yoga. I think, just as you said, it's a, it's, it's a slow enough practice and with enough attention given to what someone's experiencing, they can really learn about what's, what the inner dynamic of their experience is um, and, and, and practice safely. Do you ever get the question, okay, this, this makes sense for yin yoga, but uh, do these alignment principles apply to yang yoga? Yeah, I don't, I don't make a differentiation between alignment in yin and alignment in yang. It's, you know, again, it comes back to what's your intention, and then find the alignment that will give you that, that stress in the targeted area. And so I'm very agnostic about what are the alignment cues that I should be offering everyone. You still got to say something, so I'll say come up to the front of your mat, Feet together. If that doesn't work for you, feet apart. 
and I'll let them experiment and try to figure out what works best for them. A beginner doesn't know what works best for them, so they'll have to do that over time, trial and error. But to just say everyone's feet must point straight ahead is not going to work for most people. Now you're going to get them thinking there's something wrong with them. Right. You know, you mentioned it earlier, I think it was in the stage of anger, of this five, mm -hmm. five process of grief, the anger that, you know, this, the, the teacher may be angry that they paid all this money for another teacher training and then now it's getting thrown out the window, right. uh, knowledge. I try to uh, create a little bridge around that. I'd be curious what you thought of this analogy where I say, look, you know, you go to school, you get educated, and let's say you're learning a language, you learn a grammar of sorts. But in fluent speakers and in, in creative writers, those grammar rules are often broken quite frequently. Um, yeah. and, and good communication still occurs. Um, so you, you may have learned a kind of, kind of structured grammar at some point in terms of how to think about poses, but now it's a time to go beyond that and develop more nuance and sophistication around your understanding around the dynamics of a pose. Yeah, that's a good analogy, and one that I often use is when you go to your first 200-hour teacher training, it's like going to elementary school. You're learning the reading, writing, and arithmetic, but then after you graduate, and it's time to go to grade four or grade five, and eventually you're going to go to high school, and you're going to have to specialize a bit. You're going to learn history and French and science, and then one day after your thousands of hours of training, you're off to university where it's up to you, and you're going to be going off into your own career, and you learn more and more, and of course, once you've gone to university, you'll realize a lot of stuff they taught you in grammar school was just to get you started. It wasn't the be-all and end-all, so you got to keep being open to new learnings. There's that, and there's also the, the, the kind of the, the humbling realization that as you do more, learn more and more, you become more and more acutely aware of how little you actually do know for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's the Kruger-Dunning effect. That's why I was trying to remember what that effect yeah. was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll press pause there for now and return in the next episode with the next installment of this interview with Bernie Clark. In the next episode, Bernie will discuss all things related to the word hyper. Specifically, Bernie and I will be talking about hypermobility in yin yoga and how to think about that as well as the other big bugaboo hyperextension, specifically hyperextension of the knee. So I look forward to sharing that with you in the next episode. But before I leave, I just want to say, for more information on Bernie Clark, please visit his website at yinyoga.com. That's yinyoga.com. And you can also look at two of his wonderful books, one called The Complete Guide to Yin Yoga, the other on functional alignment, your body, your yoga. That's your body, your yoga. Okay, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.